This is Don't Sell the Farm. Listen, friend, God does not have to say to us again, I want you to go out and witness it. 1900 years ago, Jesus said to us, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. He does not have to say one more word. Those are our marching orders. We need no sign from heaven. We need no urging of the Spirit. We have a command that has never been rescinded. The urgency of the hour is into all the world. And we do not have forever to preach this gospel. But time is running out. Today on Don't Sell the Farm, evangelist Glenn Paglisi from El Paso, Texas, gives his salvation testimony. He discusses being a prodigal father, and he shares what God has done to bring him into deliverance ministry. Welcome to Don't Sell the Farm. Today we have on evangelist Glenn Paglisi from El Paso, Texas. He is currently doing a revival service for us here in Prescott, Arizona. We would like for you to give your testimony of how you got saved. Well, I got saved in 1986 and I uh, was 18 years old. You know, I wasn't one of these radicals that um, God could never reach, but the process of bringing me to Christ was uh, kind of methodical, uh, the way that, that it worked out. I never heard the gospel till I was 16 years old so which is kind of unique i guess i don't know in america not to hear about the gospel for that long it was a process of um of the military and going into the military that uh, brought me to christ and i was running from life running from bad decisions wasn't really raised in a religious family matter of fact i believed in reincarnation somehow we're going to come back i don't know maybe a person maybe yeah if you're extreme enough a dog or a cat but I like the person. Maybe a pug? Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I've I like, got one at home, I like so the person idea of that. <laughs> uh, but there was something about the gospel that appealed to me right away. It was just there. The first time I heard it, I believed it. It took a couple years to get me to that point. But I, uh, when I went to the military, that's when I really got saved. It was actually in basic training. And um, landed me in El Paso. There's a whole story behind that. But... Um, with the early days of my salvation, just uh, saw a tremendous revival that came from the military base there. They prayed for that for years, and um, when I got saved, just began to witness, testify. I was going to do 20 years, that was my goal, but then I got saved, got called to preach, and that became just a passion of passions, and so just couldn't wait to get out then, but I didn't waste my time there, and I used it for God, didn't waste my youth used it for God and saw just a tremendous revival of, of many, many soldiers that came to Christ during that time. So you got saved when you were 18? When I was 18, yeah. And, then, and did you join when you were 18? Or were yeah, you... I joined when I was 18. God was already kind of working on me okay. uh, through a process. There's a little Church of God, Pentecostal church. I'm, I'm from a little town called Eloy, Arizona. Some people Eloy. in Arizona know where that's yeah. at. It's a little tiny place. And... Um, I was exposed to this little Pentecostal church, and so there was already something going on there. And uh, I actually prayed and got water baptized right before I got on the plane to basic training, but it was very superficial. I really didn't know what salvation was. But the process of uh, things that went on during my training and God dealing with me, uh, I ended up getting saved right after, right when I got out. I went back 
for uh, my break in between basic training and my duty station, went and visited a preacher. He prayed with me in his, in his living room and then uh, got on a plane to go to El Paso. And I stumbled in by God's hand into the fellowship. Didn't even, that's a whole story in itself. But <laughs> so, wow, so you stayed saved the entire time you were in the military? Oh yeah, the whole so, time. Wow, that's a miracle in itself. It was, kind of like high school, you know, there's a lot yeah. of pressure. I mean, I was the only saved one. Back then, the border to Mexico was open. I mean, that was oh, the wow, place yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but I made up my mind I was going to be the peer pressure. And um, yeah. and so I'd be surrounded any time by 100, 150 soldiers, and they're all tag-teaming against me. But uh, I was determined to serve God and begin to get people saved, and it turned the whole thing. It changed the whole face of that unit. So you said that your, uh, you getting saved and everything is not a radical story. Mm-hmm. But me being a former Marine, that is, a rad- that is radical. Because I went back and forth a bunch of times when I was in the Marine Corps. It's being saved and falling into peer pressure and then you know, trying to live for God. Yeah. So that is radical. That's that's a tough thing. I you know I don't know how many of our listeners are military or prior military, but just knowing having my background and then knowing that, that's crazy. Because even me, TJ for us was the border was closed, yeah. but that didn't stop me. I still went over. Yeah. You know, so I can't imagine like having all. I mean, that's that did, that is a radical story. But now you're saying that. You stumbling into the Fellowship Church in El Paso is in a story in itself. So yeah, that's we why we're here. here. What's, uh, we what's that story? Well, um, when I was 16, heard the gospel the first time, I was with this girl, and her mom would kind of force her to go to church, so I just tagged along. Um, when I was 17, we had a Fellowship Church in the little town of Eloy. I knew nothing about it. We used to go in one night, like a Tuesday night. It was for revival. Really nothing happened, didn't get saved. Um, but that's going to leave a mark because it was a fellowship church. And so when I went to the military, I, all I remember is this, this old man in the Pentecostal church saying, Son, you're Pentecostal. So when I got my dog tags, all I knew was Pentecostal. So my dog tag, I still have them. They say Pentecostal. So Very that was cool. prophetic. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so um, in the process of my training, I kind of spun out a bit. Um, I was supposed to go to... Airborne training and then to Europe, but right before my advanced training was done, I mean, God was all over me, like on me, dealing with me. So I came home one night from just a night in the town, which I was plastered out of my mind, but I'm weeping, and they thought I was just a slobbering drunk, but what it was is God was dealing with me, and I started telling all the guys I bunked with, there was five of us, man, I'm backslidden, I need to come back to God, and they're all like, we're all backslidden. God understands, you know. And so, <laughs> so I told myself, I got to get home and see the preacher. So I withdrew my name from Airborne, and I withdrew my name from um, from Europe. And so they said, okay, fine, you don't have any choices uh, after this. And so the next day, my orders come down for El Paso. Oh. And now, you got to understand that El Paso had been praying for years for an open door to the base and mm. couldn't find him. So they've been working, laboring, nothing. So I'm actually an answer to their prayer. Wow. And so here I was now on my way to El Paso. I'm dreading it. Like another desert. I'm from yeah. the desert. <laughs> um, so when I get there, I just like, okay, Lord, I just want to serve you, but I don't even know where to go. So I end up in the local mega church. This guy I ran into at a car lot invited me. Nice people. He was the nicest guy. Um, 
And I thought, okay, this is where God wants me. I know, don't know anything better. And that night, and this is the power of a flyer. So you want to see the power of passing out flyers. So the church is in the northeast side of El Paso. This uh, mega church and where the guy lives is the east side. They, they don't usually interact. Somehow he got a flyer to a movie to a brand new pioneer church, two months old. And he just says, hey, let's go fellowship. I didn't even know what that meant. I said, sure, let's go. So here, here's where it kicks in. So I, we drive up. I walk past the threshold of the door, and I immediately stop, and I said, this reminds me exactly of that little church I went to. Well, it was a fellowship wow. church in Eloy. Wow. I know nothing. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is crazy. So immediately, I'm, I'm at, I just came from the mega church, and this thing's hopping. Yeah. yeah you got a one-finger piano player wife guy that didn't even look like a pastor, you know, a couple of crazy people in the church, and I'm thinking, <laughs> this is where God wants me. And so I landed at the Potter's house, two months open, and uh, became a key convert there, and just saw just a tremendous move of God that took place at the military base. So there's a lot of details in between, but I'll, I'll save those because we'll go way beyond our time. But that's fine. kind of a loose, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of a loose part of the story, yeah. Wow, that's tremendous. Yeah, so um, you were uh, you've been here now since Sunday. It's we're currently recording Tuesday. Yeah. Um, you told a story on Sunday about uh, your daughter. Yeah. Who was backslidden. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to uh, just kind of ask you about that because okay. when I when I was uh, uh, I was a church kid, grew up in the fellowship, grew up here in Prescott, and. Um, I was just kind of wondering, you know, what that was like from the parents' perspective, dealing with a backslidden kid. You know, I backslid yeah. when I was No, that's that, and you know, that's a good question. It will help a lot of people. Um, living on the other side of it, uh, it gives you a whole other perspective. It gives you an empathy for uh, parents that are going through this. Uh, it was a horrible time. It, the day that she left, um, the last thing... The last two things that happened, she's standing in the driveway. She announced that she's leaving the house. She was 19. And, uh, you know, she was born in the gospel. I'm preaching the gospel when she's born. And so um, I just told her, I said, Sarai, sin makes you stupid. And then mm. I just broke. The last thing she left with was my tears on her shoulder. And she drove away. And uh, that began a process of, of just a lot of, trials, torment, you know, processing things. And, you know, here I am at the same time. I'm overseeing, because I'm the assistant pastor in El Paso at the time, mm -hmm. and I'm overseeing the college-age Bible study that she was a part of. Mm -hmm. And now she's, and so, you know, this is all just kind of playing on our minds. And um, and so the, the side I saw of it, though, is is the side um, of of redemption that sometimes we don't you know we just see the egregiousness of what they've done and and she did she you know it, there was a lot of pain associated with that and what it did to our family but you know the day she walked back in the door it was a Saturday morning um, many many months had passed you know many sleepless nights waking up in the middle of the night hearing a siren wondering if that's your daughter you know that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. She walked into the door that, that morning, and um, she was a shell of herself, depressed, thin, just wiped out, you know, from the life of sin. But my heart began to identify with, you know, the whole prodigal story, the father's mm -hmm. heart. Mm 
Mm-hmm. The older son was angry, but the father's heart, this, this is my son that was dead, he's now alive. Yeah. I mean, that's what I felt in the moment. And it was, it was, on the one hand, it was an amazing rejoicing. On the other hand, it's, okay, is it real? Is she going to stick to it? Right. But yeah, there was a, a lot to that process. And um, I won't preach it here, but I preach a whole sermon on redemption that features her story and the prodigal. And we always end it by praying for people with backslidden children because it, it is a torment. You know, you don't raise your kids for that. And, but at the end, it's, they got to make decisions in life. Yeah. And, and it hurts. It's hard. It disorients you. It makes you, you know, ask yourself questions that I go wrong. Could I have done this? So there's a, there's a lot the devil hijacks in that moment that is very, very, very difficult. I imagine it's difficult to be, you know, reaching sinners, reaching the world, and uh, your own kid. This, uh, I, I feel like from, you know, from the uh, prodigal son perspective, the grace that your parents have to continue to pray and, and still, you know, oh, yeah. expect that one day you're going to get saved. You know, it's like... Yeah, nobody's going to pray like a parent does. Right. You know, we can always say, would you pray with me? But nobody's going to pray like a parent. Right. You know? And uh, it's powerful prayer because my prayers changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, very, very distinctly changed when it came to my daughter and um, pleading with God to bring her back. And it really, it hits you, it hits you very personal. It really does. Um, I can't even describe it. If people have been through it, they understand it. But, yeah, it's personal. So when she, when she did come back to church, this is fairly recent? Or? No, it's been nine years now. Nine years, okay. Yep, it's been nine years. You know, there was a, uh, you know, not every backsliding is the same. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like Pastor Stevens always said, you know, you choose the sin, not the consequences. Mm-hmm. The consequences of her decisions cost her uh, a little longer than some would. Part of it was she came back pregnant, mm-hmm. which, you know, the whole scorn of that, she had to stay out of church for a year. That's just right. the process that yep. we totally understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, now you have this child that doesn't have a father, mm-hmm. the very thing that you've always seen as the world, now it's in your home. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, now we're helping raise what is my grandson, but now is more like a son. Right. He's eight years yeah. old now. And uh, and so there's a lot of process involved in restoring. It wasn't just simply yeah. she came back and it was all done. Right. It's like yeah. God, God saves you from your sin, but not necessarily every single consequence right. of your sin. And that's just reality. You know, yeah. you don't blame anybody for that. You know, you, she, she made the choices, but she's a powerful redemption story today. Yeah. It's an and the way that God... You know, we always talk about the genealogy, and it has people like Rahab and people that, you know, well, yeah. we have a genealogy yeah. now yeah. that has, and I say this carefully because I don't consider my grandson illegitimate anymore in the sense that that's been broken, but mm-hmm. you have an illegitimate son in the picture, you know, and right. just the process of of what that represented at the time, people trying to process this. You're still the assistant pastor, you know. Mm-hmm. That was right. the hardest part. Yeah. Here I am, I've got to... You know, and and I know the people of God are way gracious. Yeah. In your mind, ugh, you know, the you, battle. Yeah, yeah. You just wanted yeah. to run. Yeah. You just felt like maybe I should just go and and move on, but it wasn't what God wanted. And it's not like hell doesn't know what you're going through no. there. That's yeah. true. It doesn't Piles exploit on. it. Piles on. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I think David and I both have been in that situation from the from the backsliders perspective, right? Not exactly. From the backsliding children. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's it's crazy because it's like, no, now hearing. 
what you say, you know, it's like, man, I don't know what the heck I put my parents through. Yeah. You know, and now, I mean, my wife and I just had a son. I mean, he's only five weeks old. Yeah. But I can't imagine now, I'm like, man, I just got to make sure that I set the best example I can yeah, for absolutely. him. And hopefully he makes the right decisions yeah. because, you know, I think I teased my parents a little bit because I would come back and then I would leave. And then I would come back and then I yeah. would leave, you know. And uh, now hearing it from your perspective, it's like, maybe I should call my parents and just be like, hey, sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I've always been, you know, personally, even having been a backslidden kid, I've always been a little bit hard on on backslidden, you know, young people like uh, that leave church and it's like, you know, maybe a little grace. Well, temperate you, with you a know, my, grace. I have a perspective on that. And yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, it wasn't done on purpose, but early, early in my salvation was kind of put into us to scorn a backslider, mm-hmm. you know. But there is a difference between, like, my daughter backslid, but she just did her thing. And then there's the kid that just hates the church, bad mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's a little different process. And you process it differently. You do. Yeah. And you have to deal with it differently. But most of them aren't that way. Yeah, I, I would say I agree. Most, most, you know, personally, it wasn't that way for me. I had no malcontempt towards anybody in yeah. church, headship, anything like that. It was just I wanted to sin. And so you think about the longing of the father and the prodigal. I mean, we don't know. We don't know all the details. But all we know is when he saw him afar off, his heart leapt. That means every day he's thinking about this. Mm -hmm. He's praying about this, you know. Um, And so, you know, when I run into him in the streets, I don't jack him up, you know. I I try to appeal to him. God's looking for you to come back, you know. And my appeal, you'll hear me in an altar call, and I do it because of where I've been, is... The Bible says he killed the fatted calf for him. Yeah. Okay, so they come back to the kingdom. I understand there's a process. They're going to have to restore testimony and all that, but we rejoice, man. Yeah. We really do. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's the best way to do it, too, because come even just from my perspective— Knowing, coming back to church from being a backslider, it's so it's kind of one of the most awkward things to very do. Very intimidating. Know? Yeah, very intimidating. Because yeah. you're like, man, if I go back, people are probably looking at me like I'm an idiot, this and that. I'm sure some people are. And but your pride people, is on the line. But that's yeah, true in any yeah, salvation right, situation. Yeah. Your pride is on the line to say, I'm a sinner. you know. But there's something unique, I think, about being, at, uh, uh, being raised in church and coming back to that and saying, yeah, you know, I was out there, I was doing the world thing, and it didn't work out. You know, I yeah. thought it would work out for me. Yeah. I thought I was better than everyone yeah, else. I thought I, I, thought I was the one that was going to yeah, pull do. it off. <laughs> so I just want to kind of go back to your uh, testimony. I found it interesting that you were following the call of God on your life, even though you weren't actually fully established in a church. So can you explain why that was? I mean, did you just well, feel it? Well, you know, first of all, I had a very radical conversion. I mean, God really, you know, even though I wasn't your throat lord, killer, fighter, I had a radical conversion. I mean, God really, really deeply converted me. Two months into my salvation, I just knew I was called to preach. I didn't even know what all that meant. I just right. knew. I could just see myself doing it. So that that became a passion, I mean, from that point. And then, you know, the conversion, and you got to understand back then the El Paso church, this is mid-80s, was still in a, a real flow of revival that had spilled over, you know, 
um, from its time of the inception of the church in 1979. And so we were a church that they planted. So we were very connected to the mother church. So we're feeding off of this revival uh, that's happening in El Paso and we're taking it back to our little pioneer church and then I'm taking it to the base and we were just firebrands. You know, you talk about kids standing up on the tables in, the cha in their uh, cafeterias. Well, there I'm a soldier. I'm not supposed to do this, yeah. but I'm standing up in the chow hall on a table preaching the gospel to people, you know. Wow. That's, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to the local high schools, which really was a risk. I shouldn't have done it because I was in my army fatigues, but <laughs> we're, we're preaching at lunchtime. Wow. There. So, you know, this is like what's fueling us. You know, it, was, it wasn't even something we had to try hard at. It was just there. I mean, yeah. it was just like God put it in us, and we lived it, and we loved it every waking moment. So that compelled me from thinking a career soldier to, oh, no, I'm going to preach the gospel one day. Again, didn't even half know what that meant. Right. Just knew I wanted to do it. So yeah. coming into El Paso with that mindset, knowing, you know, I know I'm called to preach, When how what was your discipleship process like? When you, you first know, got there, were you like, hey, I think I'm called to preach? They're well, like, I again, I didn't know all that this was. It was just something that God put in me. You know, it's a yeah. pioneer church. It's a brand-new mm -hmm. pastor. They're, they're learning how to pastor. You know, the thing about a smaller church, uh, is is your discipleship is just not as thorough, and that's not a hit on smaller churches. It's just not as thorough. Right. So, um, you know, there's a lot I didn't get, and a lot was missed. But but what what God was doing in our lives overcame all that, mm -hmm. and so we knew discipleship was the way to do it. So right. that's what we wanted. Yeah. And we wanted to be disciples, and we were disciples, and um, we gave ourselves to the purpose. We made ourselves totally available to our pastor, and and it just. It, we just grew leaps and bounds. I mean, we were growing like, if I would have been saved or saved, uh, married rather early on, I, I got married, I think, I think it was four years into my salvation. But I was one of those converts that you could have sent out at three years if I had okay. a wife, just because mm -hmm. that's what God was doing in our lives. Right. It was just an acceleration. Yeah. So uh, what what's the timeline from when you got into El Paso or from the time you got saved to El Paso to when you got sent out? I got saved in 86. Got married in 90, got sent out in 92. Okay. And where were you sent out to? We took over the church we were saved in. Oh, really? really? Wow. That's a whole other story <laughs> wow. right there. Yeah, well, it, why don't you go into that story? All That's, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's nuts. I'm we not love stories one, here. I'm not Seriously. the only one that's ever done it, but it, I would prefer to have been out first. That's an experience. Yeah, disconnected from the church, but to go from the seat as the main disciple to the pastor, and now you got in the church a guy that was your roommate. You got in the church a girl you yeah. once dated. You got in the church. Oh no! You got in the church the guy that followed up on you. Uh, yeah, and wow. so now you're the pastor. That was terrifying. And it's not yeah. like it's not like you had all that, but it was after you've been out for a decade and come back. Yeah, if you it's if you go out, it's totally different. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's not still difficult, but to just take it over uh, that way. But you know, here's the deal. <laughs> it's like it's so, like being deployed in the military, right? Right. So I'm I'm in this church that right. was having revival. I mean, it was breaking loose, and then it kind of got mishandled. You know, unfortunately, that happens in a lot of our churches, and that kind of died off. So the church then settled into 40, 45 people. So mm -hmm. I'm looking at this saying. I'll never get sent out. I mean, we're trying. Me and my wife are laboring. We're working to build that church. You know, mm -hmm. we were fruitful. 
Well, the way God decided to do it was to say, hey, take over your church. So I remember when the phone call came, Pastor Lamb and Chuck Benson, he was my pastor at the time. And he, uh, they called me from Prescott Conference. Chuck Benson's going to get sent to South America. And uh, they're asking me to take the church. And I'm like, oh, boy. So I said, give me time to go home and talk to my wife. So I walked through the door after work, told my wife. She's pregnant with Moba's daughter, and she starts to bawl. She's just crying. <laughs> Phone rings. It's them again. We need to know now. It's Thursday night. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they're going to announce me. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do it. You know, I mean, I want to preach, right? Wow. Yeah. It's never going to be this perfect scenario, so let's do it. And yep. that's what I did. And while I made a ton of mistakes, and I, I years later was preaching in a conference in El Paso, and I, it kind of fit into the sermon, but I literally apologized to anybody that was still left of that church. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because I felt so bad for them because I was so green. Uh, but we did our best. God helped us yeah. in, in a lot of ways. We learned a lot of what not to do. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So. dealing with all those uh, <laughs> unique circumstances oh, for yeah. sure. Boy. Yeah, when you're under that kind of fire, what are you going to do? You can't predict it, you know. Yeah. yeah. So how did um, you and your wife meet? In the church. She got saved two years after I did. And uh, at first we were just really good friends in a lot of ministry together. I actually dated her best friend. Uh, that just wasn't meant to be. And then about six, eight months later, just I don't know what it was. It just caught my attention. There she wow. was right in front of me. I'm putting my feelers out in all these other fellows at churches, and she's yeah. sitting right there in front of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it was mutual, and it clicked, and eight months later, we were married. Very cool. And you've been married for how long now? 30 years. 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. So going from... Uh, taking over that church, where did your ministry go from there? Well, about four and a half years in, we realized we couldn't take it any further. And we were very frustrated. A lot of good things had happened. So we went to Pastor Stevens. He was now in El Paso. And just, we told him at the four-year mark, you know, we probably need to move on. Let's pioneer. He said, give it six months. It's never usually time to make big decisions when you're in the heat of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Six months later, we still felt the same way. We were going to go to the Northwest originally. We were thinking Portland. He put the bug in us about L.A., and it just kind of grew. Wow. So we ended up going to L.A., pioneering a little community called Alhambra, right okay. before the main L.A. area. Okay. And we were there. We had a, a couple little spurts of growth and never really got a lot established. Only had a few people left when um, in uh, 2000, oh, no, 1998, sorry. So that was between 96 and 98. So in 98, uh, we were at a Tucson conference Thursday night, and uh, Pastor Stevens kind of sidelined me into a wall and said, hey, I have a need uh, to take over a church in Houston. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, what am I going to do? It's not like we have this amazing thing happening in California. So I said, sure. So we moved to Houston, and that's really where uh, we begin to flourish because, you know, you have enough experience, ministry on your belt, you made plenty of mistakes, and uh, and now you start putting it together. So Houston was a great time for us. We, we were there 11 years. We, we took the church. We began to see it grow. We were able to start planting churches and had a legitimate flow of discipleship. And it was a great time. <clears throat> a lot of good things happened. We learned a lot. And then in 2009, it was kind of already something God had told me was going to happen a couple years earlier that Somehow I was going to end up on staff in El Paso. It was not my wildest dream, but yeah. that's what I felt. And mm-hmm. so 
In 2009, that became real when Pastor Jeeves asked us to come on wow. as assistants. And I already knew it, so I just said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, little did we know it would last 10 years, you know. You, yeah. you, that doesn't typically happen in an assisting role, especially yeah. when you already have experience under your belt. Yeah. But it just worked. It clicked. We grew leaps and bounds. Yeah, we counted an amazing privilege to have been able to do that. And uh, that has been a, a very positive consequence for our lives, even going into the evangelistic ministry. Okay. You know, just the expression you had there. You know, I'll say this carefully, but even though you're the second guy, you're not the guy, it's not your church, but mm -hmm. there's still notoriety because, you know, right. it's a high-profile setting. And so right. all that has benefited us uh, going forward. And, um, and I don't regret a day of that. Time. We would have stayed on longer, but God really began to push my buttons about being an evangelist, which is another story. I was going to say, well, <laughs> well, that bleeds into what the next question was okay. anyway, so why yeah. don't you go into, uh, go into that? So there's a whole testimony out there, and if anybody's interested, um, and the reason it's a testimony is because when I told Pastor Stevens the process that God took me through to get me to say yes to be an evangelist, he said, you have to preach this to the El Paso church. You have to let them hear this. So it's called Not in the Script. It's, uh, it's on the YouTube channel for uh, The Door in El Paso. Under, we'll under we'll my make sure name. to link that. In the yeah, yeah, under, sure it's under my name. Um, there's a folder of the sermons when I was there. So it's called Not in the Script. Um, and so without going into that whole thing, you want to hear the whole thing, you got to listen to that. But, oh. but God... Uh, <laughs> there you go. He began to pinpoint me in, in 2013, and again, wasn't even in my thoughts. I never envisioned being an evangelist, and when the first it came into my my mind, it was like, oh, I don't think so. You know, it just wasn't me. I didn't ever see myself that way. It wasn't my personality. It wasn't my desire, you know. Mm. But there was this one part of me that's always kind of brewed since I was a new convert, and, uh, it, and it has to do with what you see today, just real deliverance, healing, ministering to the needs of people on that level. And it was always something in me. And, and I always kind of got frustrated because I could never really see it come to fruition in a pastoring context. I mean, I would see things happen, but it wasn't like you could just go there because you're pastoring a church. There's so many right. different yeah. ways you have to preach and needs you have to meet. And so... This started in 2013, and, and let me take you back because people always think when the evangelist gives you a word and doesn't come to pass in a day that it, you miss God. Right. <laughs> yeah. So in 1994 and 1997, okay, two, two different revivals with uh, evangelist Glenn Clark. The one was in El Paso, the other was in Moreno Valley, California. So he, he gave me the identical word in both of those. Now, he wow. had no idea he did that. Yeah. And the word was, as he stopped, like, same, I mean, literally stopped, pointed at me and said, God wants to give you a deliverance ministry. And so he said it in 94, wow. and then in, a, in California when we were pioneering, I went yeah. to that identical. Wow. Well, that meant a lot to me. Yeah. That, that really did. I didn't know what it meant, <laughs> but I, it meant yeah. a lot to me because it was what was in me. So just take all of that, and, and you, you know, all this is kind of brewing and stirring. When I went on... Uh, on staff in El Paso, one of the things that afforded me to do, I'm not the pastor. I don't have to pastor this church that way. I have another role, and it was kind of nice because 
I could preach a lot of these things that were in me to mm-hmm. that church. And in a way, it was just God's way of grooming that in me. Yeah. It's almost like testing the waters. And I be, that's how I learned a lot of the dynamics of what I do now. I so learned you, it then. You kind of got uh, to, to develop it over. Develop you know, it. And then once it became apparent, I mean, 2015, 16, it was very apparent this was where God was going to guide me. Only my wife knew this. She's the only one I had ever told. And yeah. I was starting to drive her nuts because she's like, when are you going to tell Pastor? Well, I'm not ready yet. Because <laughs> you know, I really was afraid of the calling because I didn't think I could do it. Uh, and so, um, anyway, all along, though, what I would do is I'd say, okay, so tonight I'm preaching on Wednesday night. And so these are these are inner parts of my being here you folks are going to hear, okay? So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking, okay, tonight I'm going to preach what I think an evangelist would preach. And see how it runs. Wow. Right? And yeah. so I did it, and it was wonderful. Yeah. It was like a great atmosphere. And then I, this one girl, she's a long-standing member, she walked up to me, and she goes, wow, that was like a revival meeting. Wow. <laughs> so I just locked it away. Nobody knows that I'm dealing with this and trying uh-huh. to you know, come to grips. Anyway, without the whole story, again, you have to hear it, not in the script. Um, fast forward, it's really becoming often the guy's dealing with me. Uh, and so I go to a Prescott conference. God, you have to give me Rama for this to happen because I really need you to help me to convince me this is what you want. No Rama. I walk home. I'm vexed. This is like January 2019. I'm like, I'm about to ditch this man, uh, you know, because yeah. I just needed more. It just because mm-hmm. it was so scary to me and it wasn't who I felt I was and it didn't make sense. You know, you pastor all these years. You've been groomed in a leadership church, and now you're going to be an evangelist. It just didn't make sense, but, mm-hmm. you know, we overthink things. So yeah. uh, July conference, 2019, God, I have to have Rama. Thursday morning, Pastor Mark Olson stands up at the pulpit, third yes. seminar, and Mark he Olson, said, Rama. <laughs> and he said, well, I had my sermon all ready to go, and then God gets me up this morning and changes it. And so he begins to share his struggle and testimony of when God called him to the Philippines. Wow. I mean, it hit me like a two by four. What, My, what conference was this? That, this was July 2019. Okay, okay. I'm remembering this. And sermon, so it's just fallen on me hard and heavy. Everything he's saying is like, right, like he's, he's reading my mail, you know. Yeah. And, and my wife knew it. She didn't touch me. And I'm like <laughs> so like, stunned. I've never had a, a confirmation from God like that ever. Wow. And uh, I, we leave the place. I, 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 know, I just told her, okay, it's time to talk to the pastor. And so I went to him about three weeks later, laid it all out. He was stunned because he felt like me. It doesn't make sense, but he says there's too many things here that God did from 2013 forward that mm-hmm. we have to, we're going to have to go with this, what he said. Yeah. So that Friday night, you know, we'd been on staff 10 years. So that Friday night, we get announced, and the church, like, give a big exhale. It wasn't even, like, excited. Like, <laughs> like, a gas, right. like a gas. You can literally hear it. If you go back to the audio, really? you can hear the gas. Oh, my it's gosh. like the air was let out of place. I'm like, oh, great. This is wonderful. Thank you, church. <laughs> anyway, so that's a very loose, without a lot of details, of uh, the, the process that got me to say yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So obviously it's been successful. You're still doing it and it's been No, I feel called to it. Now and that's yes. a very important distinction. Okay. I feel called to it. I would not yeah. have done it otherwise. Yeah. yeah. It, it just there's no reason to. Right. I feel called to do this. 
and, th and that's that's that. And so I will go with it as long as God wants that to happen. Are you a satisfied customer? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm loving it. Yeah. Uh, it's a part of me now. I love preaching at the level I'm preaching. Yeah. That just helps people. Yeah. I don't have to go and dig into their dirt and, and deal with them on this. I can just help them. Right. right. And that is just, I'm loving it. And I love the results. I love to see what God does. Uh, I had this one revival in a church that, you know, I mean, it's a good church, solid people, probably 30 people. And, uh, you know, I'm not a rah-rah guy. You guys figured that out already. And um, and so Sunday morning I get there and I could tell the church was in a little bit of a rut. That's kind of one of the advantages I have of pastoring for all the years is I can kind of assess a church pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, I don't have a plan for it. I just do what I do. God, I just rely on God to show me what sermons. And, and so finished up and it was very obvious God had done something. Something shifted, but I didn't know to what degree. So yeah. a couple of weeks later, a guy in El Paso pulls me aside. He goes, I don't know what you did in that church. Because he knew a guy in there. He goes, but something radically changed. He says, this guy's telling me that, man, that the converts that got saved that final night, they brought 10 more people. The church has taken wow. off. The church has gotten energized. So I'm like, wow. Praise God. You know, I had no idea. Yeah. You know, and, and to, to, to be a part of that, to be a part of the link to that is like gratifying yeah, beyond measure. That's man. cool. Yeah, it really is. Especially in a smaller church because that's mostly what I've been in all my life. So I have a certain yep. affection for smaller churches, minor yeah. churches, churches that are in, you know, the mid-range of 30, yeah. 40, 50. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love ministering in those churches. Yeah. I really do. So I think sometimes this gets kind of overlooked, but um, how did your wife deal with the transition? Yeah, from going great question. To... Okay, so, so that, okay, now... It was tough in, in the mm -hmm. sense that you're still sitting in the church that you've for 10 years tinkered with your hand. You had practice, though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So so for her, it's harder because I'm on the road. She has to stay there. Yeah. She's adapted. But the biggest thing for her and my thing with God was, okay, you want me to do this? You know, my wife's temperament would not have been the temperament you said is good for an evangelist's wife. Just a lot of reasons for it. She made the shift. She was behind it. I'm like, this is crazy. Wow. And she is totally adjusted. And to the point now when I go home, she says that I'm being too bossy, you know. She's just, in other words, she's established her, her you know, individualism. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, it, it was an adjustment like anything else, but you just go with it. Yeah. You make it work. So what kind of, what kind of uh, you know, different evangelists you'll hear Oh, this guy, he's got a he's got a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, mm -hmm. ministry that's very powerful. Um, we had uh, evangelist Chris Hart on, talk about that. What kind of, uh, you know, areas have you discovered that God is moving in, well, in your ministry? And, and that's a hard one to pin down. I'm still developing. I'm still seeing how God is developing these things. Um, everything for me, and you may think it's true for all evangelists, but it's not. Uh, the, the, everyone has a different approach to how they do it. Everything for me derives from the sermon I preach. Mm -hmm. Because the sermon I preach, and you guys already got the feel of how I go about this, it, it is substantive, even yeah. though you're not going to get 40 minutes out of me. You're going to get a 30-minute or less sermon. But it has an aim, a very particular aim yeah. for something at the altar. What I've tried to roll in, and this is just the way it's kind of developed, is I try. What I'm aiming at first is deliverance. Mm -hmm. That's the aim. Okay, so 
it's not always evident till the end of the revival and you start hearing people talk to know what God did. Right. Okay. And that's where, but I'm aiming for that. So whatever I'm preaching on, I have an aim. And then what I'll try to do, because I really want to see God bring healing into it, a supernatural element, is I try to link the sicknesses to what I'm preaching. And yeah. so, because, you know, you don't have time always, and sometimes it bogs down. Uh, if you just go through and start dealing with people one-on-one, and it could just bog down really fast. Yeah. And I like yep. a continuity to the night. I don't like any dead space. I want things just clicking all the way to the end. So I feel like I just preached on it. We just dealt with the issue. Yeah. If you did it at the altar, you're primed now to get healed in your body. Right. You know, out of that comes what people call a word of knowledge. I, I don't call it that what I do. I call it a word of deliverance. Um, okay. Because what I feel is happening when I'm praying for someone and, and speaking to them is I feel like God's breaking something. And yeah. so the brother and sister, I don't remember their names. I was just with them in breakfast this morning. I, I was talking to them, ministering to them last night. Um, he told me this morning, he goes, when you did that, normally he said, did you, did you basically confirm everything we'd been dealing with? He goes, but something left us. Wow. Okay. So that's deliverance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in other yeah. words, you don't realize that the spirit has fastened hold just through the events of life. Nothing wrong you're doing. Yeah. The devil takes advantage anywhere he can. Uh, and so what I ask God for is a sufficient anointing that that can happen because it's not something a human being can do. Yeah. Yep. I don't know when it happens usually. Sometimes I know and I'll call it out and I'll say something just happened. The, the woman that uh, testified last night of the hip. Yeah. Well, I don't even remember case. her on Sunday yeah. morning. Well, this whole thing so relieved from yeah. her and, and all the pain went away. Well, that was what I call a yoking spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it got a hold of her. It wasn't that she's doing anything wrong. It's not that she's demon-possessed, but that thing was able to yoke to her. Mm-hmm. That's deliverance. It comes in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's just a deliverance that brings refreshing to people, and it's just like, man. So that's what I'm aiming for. I'm still developing in this, trying to, you know, I try to be as sensitive as I can. There are areas I get frustrated in because I want to see God do it, but I don't want to push it. Yeah. You know, the the evangelist Jerry Fessel gave me some great advice. Look, you're not there to perform. Mm -hmm. He goes, and sometimes you're going to feel the need to make things. He goes, if it's not God, you're going to mess it up. Yeah. And so that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to do it just to, because people expect this. It's either going to happen or it's not. You know, right. that's kind of my... So I have, I'm far from perfecting this thing. I'm kind of still getting my bearings on... But each time I do a revival, it's something else I learn. Every single time, a little nugget I get. Yeah. It just helps me, you know. Yeah. Sounds like God's helping you. Yeah, he has to or else we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all, yeah, yeah, we all... So going back to that piece of advice that uh, Evangelist Fussell gave you, how do you determine that? How do you know sometimes? Like, oh, you know, no, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, for instance, um, I'm giving you a little bit of, of where, where I go in my it's mind. Yeah, baseball, you know, it's great. I'm just going to tell you that Sunday for me was an overwhelming day. Okay. Um, I don't hear what people say, and they can just say it. I, I realize Prescott is just everyday people, but it's still Prescott. Right. And, and you, you know... I, I was overwhelmed by the whole prospect of being in that pulpit, preaching to those long-standing members. And so, you know, I may not have shown that, but Sunday night, you know, I, I, I wanted to move in an area, but it wasn't there. 
I yeah. wanted to move in it. Everything in me wanted to move in a certain area, and it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't. Right. In other words, you know when it's there and when it's not there. Yeah. It's just a release you have. I can't explain it. Yeah. Uh, I just know, and I, okay, I'm going to tell you this. So for me, every evangelist is different. Um, and again, I'm the new guy, so I'm just learning all this. But if God wants me to pray or speak to someone, I just, he like draws my attention to him. I have no idea what I'm going to say until I get to them. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely no idea. Yeah. I just have to literally, that's just the way it's been for me. And maybe wow. God will show me ahead of time in the future. I don't go and do a, a night. I'm not looking from the pulpit and, or, you know, doing song service and looking and seeing, does God want me to speak? I don't even do that. Yeah. No. It's all in the moment, literally. Yeah. Is that scary? It's scary. It yeah, is because, imagine. but it's kind of worked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm Just okay with it, with it. Yeah. you know, but that was the area I was trying to move in Sunday night. It just wasn't there. Yeah. And I just didn't do it. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, because if I would have, I don't know, it, it probably would have backfired or been something that wasn't on the way it should be or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to be uh, backfiring Sunday oh, night. <laughs> <laughs> anywhere, yeah, much anywhere. less or, risk it. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to be backfiring Thursday night, but no less Sunday, Sunday night. night. You yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyway, just I'm just... I'm just being transparent here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. So when you go back to um, El Paso, you know, you just you just go to become another member of the church, huh? Pretty much. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying still... to find a place that I can minister. Like during the conference, I made myself available to usher and stuff, and just okay. kind of be a blessing. Yeah. Um, right now, I just go back. It's just a week anyway, and then you're back on the road, but. What I'll probably I did early on, but it was it was too soon. My uh, carrying the position I had for ten years, I got into song service. I'm a musician, and uh, it was just too imposing for people what I represented. And so, and, and especially for the assistant pastor, it, it wasn't fair to him for me to be there and kind of yeah. put attention. So you know, yeah. but eventually I'd like to maybe do that, get back into that setting to where I'm home. I can at least minister to yeah. something. You know, that's mm -hmm. because the one thing you fight. As an evangelist, is is staying connected to your church. Yeah, right. And, and it is a battle, and you realize you have to make it happen. You cannot disconnect. Yeah, it's too important. So, what do you play? You say you're a guitar. guitar. That's my main thing. Oh, I cool. have too many guitars, according to my wife. <laughs> you're gonna play guitar this week? No, no, I won't. Too bad. Yeah. Sometimes bad. they rope me into it, but I'm not gonna do it. Which <laughs> <laughs> is gonna good. give us a guitar solo right before. I really starts. like blues, but I'm also a rocker from the '80s. So. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So um, we're getting towards the end here. Okay. But um, I don't think we've really done this with anybody else too much. Maybe JW a little bit. But what's uh, what's some stuff that you like to do for fun, you know, when you go back and you're not out evangelizing? If I'm able to do it, take my grandson fishing. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we, we love fishing. We just went out a couple weeks back, maxed out on our trout limit. Maxed nice. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got nine, I got one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we still maxed out together. There you go. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's good. I still love, in, in my music now, uh, I have a whole studio, and so I love to sit and record stuff and uh, record CDs and stuff like that. Um, those are, are things I really enjoy. I am a very avid uh, vegetable gardener. Oh, really? Right. Right. Cool. from my time when I lived in the desert. And so I grow vegetable gardens and um, enjoy that. That's just kind of a relaxing thing. And those would be the main things that I, I really like to do. So I bet whenever you were uh, 
maybe when you saw start to see some some stuff produced from your vegetable gardens and they told you you had to leave probably a little tough huh oh yeah man. <laughs> yeah but yeah that's what i like very good well we appreciate you coming on the podcast today uh, thank you it for having really me really good um hopefully you'll come back for another revival here shortly and uh well not shortly but <laughs> yeah, yeah, again yeah. and then we can uh, have you on and uh be I'll, I'll be sure to link not in the script yeah and i have it if you want me to send it to you well, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, just... I'll link it in our description so that our listeners can also. Yeah, like okay. It as well. Very good. All right. Thank All right. you very much. Thank you very much. All right. If you've listened to today's featured guest and are stirred by their words, please contact us at don't sell the farm ph at gmail.com. We'd love to let them know that they encouraged you. If you're not right with God and you're listening to this podcast, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you would like to give your life to Jesus as our featured guest, our hosts, and many millions of others have, simply repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. From this moment forward, I turn from my sins. Please come into my heart and change me. Make me a new creation in Christ. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you gave your life to Christ because of this podcast, please contact us and let us know. We would love to help you find a church home.